The following is message number three of a Southeast Blending Conference held in Jacksonville, Florida on September the 2nd of 2006. The title of the message is The Difference Between the Lord's Recovery and Christianity. The speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. In knowing the Lord's recovery in a inward way, a living way, in an intrinsic way, we first need to know the four great pillars, truth, life, church, and gospel. But eventually, in knowing uh, the Lord's recovery, we need to exercise a very sharp and keen discernment to make a clear distinction based upon the truth between the Lord's recovery and Christianity. So we have this striking title, and if you're new, may the Lord grant you an open mind and a fair mind and patience and forbearance to be able to consider this matter with us and not react rashly or form a premature uh, judgment. We'll do our best to speak uh, clearly and faithfully so there will be no misunderstanding. We will take the evening message tonight and a portion of the message tomorrow morning to cover outline number three. We need to be quite thorough, uh, careful, so that we uh, don't go to any extreme. We don't make any kind of mistakes. By Christianity, we do not mean the Christians. We do not mean persons. We recognize that the vast majority of genuine believers in Christ, true children of God, are not part of the Lord's recovery. They're in all manner of Christian groups. We recognize this. And by Christianity, we do not mean the believers, the persons. By Christianity, we mean a religious system that developed throughout history and that is a departure from God's plan in the beginning. The Lord said, I will build my church. And he released the revelation to the apostles and prophets, especially to Paul. And in writing Hebrews, Paul quoted God speaking in Exodus 25, 
where the Lord said, Let them build me a dwelling place and build it according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. When the children of Israel built the tabernacle, they built it according to the revealed pattern. So no one could nominate their favorite color if it were not included. It is God's house. He designed it, and he revealed the pattern. When Solomon built the temple, he built it according to the pattern revealed to David. The principle is the same in the New Testament. The church is the house of the living God. The church is the Father's house. He has designed it. He has determined the principles by which it should function. This is what was in the beginning concerning the church. But throughout the course of so-called church history, there has been serious departure from the pattern and the practice in the beginning. And what has appeared is first the monolithic Roman Catholic Church. Then with the Reformation, Protestant denominations and state churches and independent congregations. On and on it goes to all kinds of independent churches, mega churches, independent groups, parachurch. And the entirety of that system is what we mean by Christianity. It is organized. For the most part, it is a hierarchy. It is characterized by deficiency concerning the truth. The neglect of the experience of the divine life. Replacements of the all-inclusive Christ by other things. It is noted for religious empire building by gifted preachers. It is characterized by self-exaltation and entertainment and division and idolatry. That is not what the Lord had in mind. By Christianity, we do not mean the faith that we all hold, the common faith, the faith once delivered to the saints. We mean the religious system as a serious departure from the norm. 
And this departure is seen particularly with respect to the church life. Tomorrow morning in this city, genuine believers and religious persons will attend dozens of different so-called churches. It was not so in the beginning. But that is Christianity. And there is a well-known magazine entitled aptly, Christianity Today. And I've been reading that magazine off and on since the 1960s, now to kind of spy out things for affirmation and critique and stuff like that. And even that magazine itself has been leavened and corrupted and degraded from how it was in its beginning. So when we sang overcome degraded Christianity, we mean to overcome a religious system which stands in opposition to the fulfillment of God's purpose. The Lord Jesus prophesied concerning the development of such a system. And he did it at least twice. In Matthew 13, he gave us a series of parables. The sower sowing the seed that lands on different types of soil. The sower sowing wheat and an enemy sowing tares in the world. The Lord told the parable of a little tiny mustard seed that should develop into a mustard plant. But it morphed and was transmuted into a giant, ugly tree where all kinds of birds can lodge. And you may say, that's nice. I like birds. Well, maybe you like Big Bird when you watch Sesame Street. This is not that kind of bird. These are the birds that gobbled up this kingdom seed in a previous parable. So in this one parable, you see the transmutation of the church. The church should be an herb bearing plant, a small plant. But the life law was broken and it became a huge tree. Now where else in the Bible do you see a big ugly tree that had to be cut down? Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar and his empire was a big tree. Then in the next parable, 
The Lord spoke of a woman. Sorry, sisters, but the Lord said the woman had three measures of fine flour and she added leaven to it till the whole thing was leavened. Leaven in the Bible is not a positive thing. It signifies corruption, evil things, sinful things. Then, of course, the Lord went on to speak of the treasure and the pearl. The Lord spoke of the outward appearance of the kingdom of the heavens in the church. He would like to grow wheat. He would like to have an herb bush. But the enemy came in and changed the nature of it especially in its appearance, to make it a gigantic, ugly tree. And then he leavened everything. The Lord spoke more explicitly in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where we have a record of what we call the prophetic history of the church. And those seven churches were actual local churches at the time, but they represent stages of the church in its history. Eventually, with Pergamos, the church married the world that had been persecuting it unto death. And it became a state religion. Then with Thyatira you have Jezebel and the depths of Satan. This signifies the Catholic Church. Sardis signifies the Reformation churches with a partial recovery, but ending up dead. Then you have Philadelphia, the genuine recovered church. The brothers meeting in the Lord's name, and keeping his word. But then, sadly, the recovered church became degraded to be Laodicea. All of this negative development from the 4th century until now is what we mean by Christianity. A religious system an enormous tree with many branches. That is what Christianity is. The problem is, that is not what the Lord intended the church to be. So what is our choice? We may decide, well... Don't be a dreamer. How can you reverse the course of history? We have to bear with and make do with the present situation. And we'll just be in it and hope that when we get to heaven, as they say, all the denominational labels will be gone in heaven. 
But actually, I believe some insist on having their own corner in the celestial empire. So we can choose to remain in some part of this vast system of Christianity and love the Lord there, and many do, and study the word there, and many do, and serve the Lord there, and many do. Or we may be rather radical, and we may ask the Lord, is this what you mean by church? Is this how you intend for the church age to end? Then the Lord may show such a seeker a picture. By picture, I mean the entire history of the children of Israel as a type of the church. Paul, in writing 1 Corinthians, referred to the experience of the children of Israel, and he said... They are types of us. They're pictures. They're symbols. So all the stages of the people of Israel are a type. We need to follow the picture to the end. It's a big mural. What does the Babylonian captivity signify? It signifies the degradation of the church and it's becoming Babylon the great or part of the Babylonian system at least. But then we read in the Old Testament that there was a recovery. That this recovery was prophesied and prayed for. And for the sake of this recovery, the Lord changed the geopolitical situation and raised up the Persian Empire and put in office a king sympathetic to God's interests. And that king proclaimed a return to Jerusalem to build a house to the Lord. And some went back and they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. What does that signify? According to the picture, the Lord will not allow everything to end with Babylonian captivity. Babylon will remain until it is utterly destroyed, but the picture portrays a recovery, a return to Jerusalem. So we sing sometimes, to Jerusalem we've come, we are through with Babylon, we are gathered to be one, oh glory be to God, So just scan the Old Testament in your memory. 
what in the New Testament age corresponds to the restoration from Babylon? Well, I'll tell you what corresponds to it. It is the recovery of the church. It is the believers leaving Christianity as a religion and returning to the original ground and standing of the church for the fulfillment of God's purpose. The Jews all over the world know there is only one place where the temple can be built. And one day, and some of us may be here on the earth when it happens, we will hear that the Temple Mount site has been regained by Israel. And eventually, that site will be cleared. We don't know how. And a temple will be built there. The Jews would never dare build that temple anywhere else. This also is a picture that the Lord decided where his church will be built. On what ground? On what basis? We will see in a later message in more detail. In the beginning, there was one church in a city. Because the body of Christ is uniquely one. And the expression of the body of Christ in space-time on the earth must also be uniquely one. And God has ordained that when the body of Christ is expressed practically, it comes into existence or manifestation as local churches. One city, one church. The Lord Jesus, of course, was crystal clear concerning this. In Revelation, he appeared to the Apostle John. And he said, What you see, write in a scroll and send it to the seven churches. Then the Lord Jesus named seven cities. He says, send it to the seven churches. Then the Lord Jesus himself named seven cities. Then when he began to speak to each particular church, he said to the messenger of the church, in Ephesus, to the church in Smyrna, to the church in Pergamos, 
to the church in Thyatira. To the church in Sardis. The church in Philadelphia. The church in Laodicea. This is the Son of God speaking. In his view, to send a letter to a church was to send it to a city, and to send it to a city was to send it to the church. This was the beginning. Actually, the book of Revelation is not for Christianity. And it was not sent to Christianity. You read in the last chapter, we have this verse, I, Jesus, have sent my messenger to testify these things in the churches. In the beginning, there were local churches as expressions of the unique, universal, indivisible, organic body of Christ. But that ground was lost. Huge organizations were built up, then divided and subdivided endlessly. That's Christianity. So some may ask, is it permissible for Christians to meet in and build up a denomination? Then the Lord may say, in the beginning, in the beginning, I said I will build my church. Then when I spoke of the local church, I said, I said tell it to the church. I didn't say, tell it to a church. I said, tell it to the. So if you want to know my view, my view is one body universal appearing as local churches in space-time on the earth. Now you ask me whether it's permissible for you to meet on another basis and take another name other than the name of your husband and follow a way other than the way ordained by God. There are two basic or three basic reasons believers do this. One is ignorance. They just don't know. Another reason is hardness of heart. They're simply not touched by the Lord's feeling concerning the church. And the third reason is the worst. Rebellion against the government of God. As in the book of Judges, there was no king in Israel in those days. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We pointed out in earlier messages that the Lord's recovery is the Lord's move to bring his people back to the beginning, to God's original intention. 
so that God's purpose may be fulfilled through them. If there is no recovery, we say boldly on the Lord's behalf. If there is no recovery, there will be no fulfillment of the eternal purpose of God. Because the eternal purpose of God is not to send you to heaven. Think deeply. Think soberly. Did God create the universe and the earth and put us here? Simply so that after we were rescued from sins, we could be raptured and taken to heaven? So Christians speak about going to heaven when they die and about being taken to heaven. Then they talk about the kingdom on the earth. It turns out their heavenly mansion is a Motel 6. Where they're only, then they leave it. You have all these empty mansions and the believers come to the earth. What is it? Who will compare the traditions with the word of God? With the pure word? If God's intention was just to prepare a mansion for you and take you there? then there doesn't need to be any recovery. Let everything go. You're a believer. That's good enough. That means you're entitled to be raptured. Because you believe the lie or the incomplete truth. But if we know the divine revelation, we will see that the responsibility of the church is to bring in the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom cannot be brought in unless the church is built up. And there's an enemy who knows this and doesn't want the kingdom to come because he doesn't want to be cast down. He doesn't want to be bound. He doesn't want to give up his illegitimate rule. So he will do his best to destroy the church. But the Lord prophesied, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So, so many dear brothers and sisters, the blind following the blind every Lord's Day morning, or if in the fundamental church, hearing the ABCs of the gospel every Sunday night. Responding to endless altar calls. Staying in a perpetual kindergarten. Never being allowed to grow. Never being taught the truth. The Lord will have mercy on them. You read Luke 12. There will be discipline for many, many believers in the coming kingdom age. They will not be overcomers. But those who did not know the Lord's will will receive a lesser discipline. They can say, Lord, I never knew. Pastor never told me. The Lord realizes, I know. You were in darkness. You didn't know. But that's not an excuse. Because you didn't know, you didn't grow, you're not ready. 
You're just a child. You cannot reign. But those who knew the Lord's will, like us, and failed to do according to the Lord's will, will have a more severe dealing. But many of the people, real believers, they just don't love the Lord enough to pay any price. Everything's for them. Salvation is for them. Forgiveness is for them. Eternal life is for them. Blessings are for them. Healing is for them. The rapture is for them. Heaven is for them. God is for them. How many ask, what is God's good pleasure? What is God's good pleasure that Ephesians talks about? What is the perfect will of God? What is it? How many books? God's will for your life. You, the center of the universe. God has a will just for you, all by yourself. What about God's will for God? Which includes us. So, so many Christian young people grow up devoting themselves to little things, petty things like their education, like their career, like their marriage. Why do I say little? Why do I say petty? Compared to the eternal economy of God, compared to the perfect will of God, compared to the heart's desire of God. What does it matter what kind of car I have? What I have for breakfast. What salad dressing I put on my salad. Where I live. Will anyone lift up their eyes to enter into God's heart? This is his will, his purpose, his plan, his goal. We are here for this. Then the Lord may say, if you are here for this, you must leave where you are and come back to what I ordained in the beginning. Amen. And this requires a price. This is the narrow way, but it leads to life. And many Christians in North America, especially in places like Southern California, they've got it all. I've got my Savior. And I read the Left Behind books and I've been drugged to believe we'll all be raptured before the beast appears. We'll all be kings in the kingdom. We'll all have our heavenly mansion. In the meantime, I'll enjoy my soul life. I got it all. No cross for me. No price for me. I like this brand of Christianity. Matches my taste exactly. 
Then a little man from China comes to the U.S. and begins to present the truth, minister the life, practice the church, and announce the full gospel. And we begin to see it's not all about us. It's all about the Lord. And he has a recovery. And by his mercy, some of us left Babylon and never looked back. So there's a song we used to sing. I'm not trying to resuscitate the old songs. But some of them had a point like, No, 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 we'll never go back anymore. No, 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 we'll never go back anymore. You know, we, we have left Babylon the Great, we'll never go back anymore. I left the whole system. In 1966, not just the branch I was in, the whole system, and never looked back, and I'll never go back. There are, I have priceless brothers there. Love them. I respect them. I don't judge them. I'm not divided from them. But I'm separated from that religious system. If we know the difference between the Lord's recovery and Christianity, we will be able to protect the recovery from the infiltration of the religious corruption from Christianity. So, the churches that are faithful under the brothers that are faithful will not play rock music to attract the young people. We will not dumb down the truth. We will not have dramas. We will not have a drama camp. We will not set up a golden calf to entertain you. We know the young people are young. They need to be shepherded according to their human situation. But don't sell young people short. They want the real thing. Amen. So we'll give it to you. If you want to dance around the golden calf after you're 18, the age of your emancipation, then who can stop you? But in the churches that are faithful, under brothers that are faithful, we will never allow Christianity with its corruption to invade the churches. Amen. We are here to be the testimony of Jesus. We don't want to be great. We don't want to be mega. That's the Greek word for great. Mega. From megas. Great. 
We're just a little tree of life. A little bread of life. We're all just little brothers and sisters and members of the body. We have little strength, but we call on the Lord's name and we keep his word and we love him and we love one another and we ain't going nowhere. I know it's bad grammar, but it makes the point. If you want to go to the world, the world is there. If you want to go to Christianity, it's a carnival. Go to booth after booth. Take your choice. Pick what you like. But there is a remnant. There is a remnant that by the Lord's mercy has come back to the beginning concerning the church. Not looking for an ideal, not looking for a perfect church, but looking for a genuine church that the Lord Jesus will say, this is the church in Jacksonville, Florida. Because it's standing on the ground of the oneness of the body of Christ. Well, I have to come to the outline sooner or later. (laughs) So, why not come to the first point? Now, with this message tonight, we are in the intensity of the conference burden. Okay? The spirit has been intensified tonight sevenfold. And we will not leave this matter until we're done. If it takes us till 10 o'clock tomorrow night, and we have to cover three outlines Monday morning, we must be faithful to the Lord's burden. We are fighting a battle for His interests. There is a verse in Romans... Paul is speaking to the Jews. He said, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, the religious ones. In principle, it's the same. The name of God is blasphemed among many thoughtful people because of Christianity. The Lord requires... And the people need a pure and faithful testimony of what the Lord desires concerning the church. And in order to be this, we need to see some pictures. Roman 1 says, Certain types in the Old Testament portray the degradation of today's religious, organized Christianity. And many of us are quite bright, and we can follow abstract thought. But let's admit it. Pictures really help. So let's look at two pictures 
Uh, A says the picture of the house of Micah in Judges 17 and 18 can be applied to the mixture and the chaotic situation that exists in Christianity where there are many houses of Micah full of idols as replacements of Christ. If I just read this, you know, most of us would be lost. We haven't read the Bible that much. And we don't understand that much of what we read and we don't remember that much of what we understand. So I would like to read a few verses from Judges chapter 17 so we all know what we're talking about. Now there was a man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Okay, just listen to this. It speaks for itself. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and spoke of it in my hearing, Look, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed of Jehovah be my son, my son the thief. <laughs> she was cursing there, the missing silver. He said, Mother, I took it. He didn't repent. I took it. Here it is. Blessed be Jehovah. Blessed of Jehovah be my son. And he returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I do consecrate the silver to Jehovah from my hand. Doesn't this sound wonderful? To my son, to make an idol and a molten image. Now therefore, I will return it to you. And when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to the founder who made them into a sculptured idol and a molten image, and it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a house of gods. And he made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons to become his priest, a little shrine in his house with a son for a priest and the idol of silver that he called Jehovah. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did, was, did what was right in his own eyes. And there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judea of the family of Judah who was a Levite and he was a sojourner there. And the man left the city Bethlehem in Judah to dwell wherever he could find a place. And he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he made his way. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judea. And I am traveling in order to dwell wherever I can find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and an array of clothing and your food. So the Levite went with him. 
And the Levite was content to stay with him. And the young man was to him like one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And Micah said, now I know that Jehovah will prosper me because the Levite has become my priest. Religious corruption. Some people have religious souls. They're attracted to religious things. So here we have gross mixture. The name of Jehovah is invoked, but an idol is made of silver. And Micah sets it up in his house where there were other idols, a house of gods, a house of idols. And they've got an ephod. And all I need is a priest. I have my son be a priest and a bona fide Levite comes and I hire him. The Levite says, not bad. Got my room and board and array of clothing and ten pieces of silver a year. Not bad for a wandering Levite from Bethlehem. I'm for hire man. I like this. Then in the next chapter, some warriors from the tribe of Dan come by. Six hundred of them. Eventually, they kill some people and take over their land. And they go back to the house of Micah and they take out the idols and all the religious stuff and they tell the Levite, look, you want to be a priest in one house or a priest for a whole tribe? Well, he's on the way up. When pastors get invitations like this, Papa prays and Mama packs. They're on their way. This has to be the Lord's will. Well, it's a picture of chaos, of unprincipled worship, of confusion. And in the life study of Judges, from which this point comes, our brother points out that can be applied to the mixture and chaotic situation that exists in Christianity. Why is it that all the soloists, the female soloists, on the Lord's morning, giving a message in song, for the glory of God. Why is it that they're all so attractive and made up and bejeweled and their hair so nice? Why not some homely looking lady in her Levi 501s with straggly hair? She's not a fitting object of worship. You don't think so? One thing I know is the system of Christianity in its corruption. The major item of worship, of course, is the preacher himself. I've been there. I've done that. The Lord exposed it, judged it, burned it in me. I know what I'm talking about. 
The Lord says in John 7, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. This is a picture. Then we have even more striking in point B, the apostasy of Jeroboam can be considered a type of the apostasy in today's Christianity with its divisive worship centers, its clergy laity system, its self-ordained religious feasts, and its idolatry. In brief, the story in 1 Kings 12 is this. Because of Solomon's idolatry, there was judgment. And the kingdom was divided, and ten tribes were taken away. Two were left as a testimony for David. And Jeroboam was made the king in the northern kingdom with the ten tribes. But there is a threat he perceives in the matter of worship. We'll read some verses. But he knew, even though the kingdom was divided, all the Israelites had to go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. God had ordained that in Deuteronomy 12 as a type of the ground of the church. God ordains the basis upon which his people meet. And Jeroboam reasoned this way, if they go back to Jerusalem, I'll lose the kingdom. They'll want to go back to the southern kingdom. That can happen. So I will set up two worship centers and establish a worship religious system in the north. And I'll tell the people, you don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. That's not convenient. Here, look, there's a golden calf in Bethel. And if you don't live near Bethel, I set up another one in Dan. And I'll ordain my own priests, establish my own feasts, because my heart is so innovative. And I will find some low-life people and make them the priests. Because it's all about my kingdom. Now, see if what I presented in summary is borne out. By the verses. Then Jeroboam built up Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim. And he dwelt in it. And he went forth from there and built up Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart. Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to make sacrifice in the house of Jehovah at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will return to their Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will slay me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. And the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. 
And he said to them, that is the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and he put the other one in Dan. And this thing became a sin. And the people went to worship the one as far as Dan. And he made a house of high places and appointed priests from among the people who were not from the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast that is in Judah. And he went up to the altar. He did likewise at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. And he went up to the altar that he had made at Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month. That is the month he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. Here is now a religion set up to protect his empire. How many places have been established in Christianity because of human ambition? Seminary graduates, the ambitious ones, used to desire a church of a thousand. Now they want a church of ten thousand. They have a purpose-driven life. Only the purpose is in God's. And they have a purpose-driven church. But that purpose is in God's. When will it ever end? Some want to be great. In the world of entertainment, some want to be great in the world of industry. Some want to be great in the world of politics. But some want to be great in the world of religion. And if they're eloquent and charming and charismatic and gorgeous, and suave and political, they'll get a following. And the people are responsible concerning whom they follow. And there seems to be no end to the building up of today's Bethels and Dan's and houses of Micah. It's a sin. Will there be anything pure on the earth? Will there be any ones who are pure? Co-laboring for the kingdom of God, not their own kingdom. Not seeking glory from man, but the glory from God on that day. 
Who will pay the price to obey the truth, to return to the beginning where there was no clergy-laity system, no hired prophets. I assure you, we co-workers who travel, we are not hired preachers. I did not negotiate a price, a fee. How much do you charge for a conference? We're not in that realm. I come, I speak, I go. I bought my own plane ticket. We have no offering box. We do not serve mammon. No one can serve two masters. Our Lord said this. We are not Christianity. We are not a part of Christianity. We are in the Lord's recovery. We're not any better. We're not superior. We just receive mercy. And we have to be here. No matter what happens. No matter who comes or who goes. We're staying right here to the end of the age. There's a big difference between the Lord's recovery and Christianity. Now let's go on. It is impossible for there to be a reconciliation between the Lord's recovery and Christianity. Once upon a time, the United States had a president. And this president went to Berlin. And he said aloud to Brezhnev in the Soviet Union, Concerning the wall. Mr. Brezhnev, tear down that wall. This was a person who realized certain systems cannot be reconciled. You cannot. And God agrees because amazingly, At the end of the 1980s, the wall came down, the Soviet Union dissolved. In 1991, the Lord's pure recovery went to the Russian-speaking world. I use this as an illustration that there can be no reconciliation between the Lord's recovery And Christianity. Some have tried. One brother took his following. Out of a local church. In North America. They went to the southwest. And they took the stand that they were. The church in. This city. The church in. 
Scottsdale. But some of the religious leaders didn't like it. So they said, okay, we'll just be called Scottsdale Church. We don't want to offend. Then the brother taking the lead there joined the Pastoral Association of the Phoenix area. Whether you like it or you don't like it, concerning the church, we attend the. We're just the. The Lord didn't say, oh, to the Ephesus church. Oh, oh, to, to the Philadelphia church. He said, to the church in Ephesus. We are for the full ministry of reconciliation. Of sinners to God and of believers to God in the second stage. And we are for the reconciliation of persons to one another through the blood of Christ. But there can be no reconciliation of Jerusalem and Babylon. There cannot be. A, the teaching of today's Christianity is like that of James. Right to a certain degree, but devoid of the highest peaks of God's revelation. We admit the teaching of especially fundamental Christianity is right to a certain extent. Christ died for our sins. He was born of a virgin. He was resurrected bodily from the dead. He ascended to the heavens. He will come again. But there is so much that is not accurate or is not present. They have what I would call a Swiss cheese theology. Little cheese and lots of holes. Right? Lots of holes. It's Swiss cheese. But when you have more holes than cheese, then please don't pretend you've got a nice full slice of cheese. I don't like that kind of holy. I like another kind of holy. So part of our mission, I know this sounds awfully presumptuous, but it's not, is to educate or re-educate Christianity. So many believers think the Father's house in John 14 is heaven. So we put out a special humdinger of an issue of affirmation and critique to deal with the leaven of heaven, to present the truth. But the Christians have been drugged into such a stupor, it'll take quite a long time for the majority 
to sober up. But I assure you, we are penetrating. Because we have the truth. That's not a boast. That's a mercy and it's a big responsibility. We cannot plead ignorance. That's one thing we can't plead. Okay, B, the background of the Lord's recovery is Christianity. That's our background. Whose characteristics are confusion and division. When I was about five years old, my beloved father, who was with the Lord, took me to Sunday school. Now, let me tell you the name of the place where I went. He took me to the Finnish Apostolic Lutheran Church. And there I was. Until I was 14, then I went through confirmation school and answered all the questions, went to the altar, received my first Holy Communion. I knew the names of the apostles. I knew the names of the tribes of Israel. I could recite large portions of Luther's small catechism. But there was one problem. Can you guess? I wasn't saved. (laughs) I'm not saying no one there was saved. But in the Finnish Apostolic Lutheran Church. I never heard the gospel clearly. Not just Lutheran. Apostolic Lutheran. (laughs) But not just any kind of apostolic Lutheran. Finnish Apostolic Lutheran. Then I went to visit my parents in a little town in northern Michigan where there are lots of Finns and lots of Kanguses. And then I saw in this little town of 900, there were two Finnish Apostolic Lutheran churches. And over the door of one of them, was written the word Old Finnish Apostolic (laughs) Lutheran Church. Old. The original. I, I, I am not, believe me, demeaning any persons. But how about we just ask the question, where in the Bible is there Lutheran Church? Apostolic Lutheran. Finnish Apostolic Lutheran. When I was a young man, I was asked to speak at the Second Romanian Baptist Church in Detroit. I don't know what happened to the First Romanian (laughs) Baptist Church. Is this not confusion? Where's the name of the Lord? What if you're not Finnish? What do you do? What if you're not apostolic? Whatever that means. What do you do? It's a mess. Why don't we say it as it is? It's a confused mess. 
It's Babel, confusion, and division. Unbelievers know it. I once heard a story of a preacher that was going through customs in another country. And the, custom, the immigration customs agent, you know, spoke English as a second language. And he asked him his, the agent asked the preacher, you know, what his profession was. And he, he said, uh, I'm a preacher. And then the agent asked, well, in what damnation are you? <laughs> I think there was an innocent mistake, or it could have been a word of insight. So the system really is a mess. It's not, it's, not was there, it's not what the Lord had in mind in the beginning. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 tells us that what the Lord wants instead of division and confusion. One stands in contrast to division. And Christ stands in contrast to confusion. One. One body. One church. One spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, and Christ. The Lord intends to recover his church from confusion and division back to himself. The Lord's recovery is thus an answer to confusion and division. Now, of course, some will argue. And, they, and some may think they're showing great insight in presenting the following argument. You are just one more division. You're just adding to the confusion. There are all these groups in Jacksonville. Then you came here to be the. <laughs> so you're just one more group. Well, so it appears to the blind. But actually, the church in Jacksonville is not one of many Christian groups in Jacksonville. All the other Christian groups meet on some kind of divisive ground. And the church in Jacksonville takes Jacksonville, the city, as its ground and spontaneously receives all the believers and stands on the ground of the oneness of the body of Christ. So you may say it's just another division. No, it is a return to the original standing. Suppose in the church in Corinth, 90% of the saints left the church and set up divisive meetings with different names. They are the divisions. The church at Corinth is still 
the genuine church on the genuine ground of the oneness of the body of Christ and on the ground of locality. Some like to argue about the theology of the Trinity thinking that we're modalists, we know what modalism is, we're not, we're clear, we're orthodox, we're biblical, we're scriptural, and we are well able to present what we defend and expose the error. We have no heresy and no wrong teachings concerning the faith, but the real issue is the church. Because our standing and practice concerning the church nullifies everything that's contrary to the truth. And that is downright threatening if you're about to draw a pension from the Southern Baptist Church. And now you may have to what? Be a brother? No one will call you pastor? You won't preach on the Lord's Day morning? No glory. What do you expect? In the beginning, all the glory went to the Lord. Why do you want glory for yourself? Let me tell you, you come into the church. You come into the place where there's no glory for you. Did you ever sing that gospel song? Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Okay, are you clear? Glory for me. But Second Thessalonians says, He will come to be glorified. In his saints. See, in the Lord's recovery, we keep the Lord's word and do not deny his name. The deviation from the word to heresies and the exaltation of many names other than that of Christ are the most striking signs of degraded Christianity. In some denominations, they don't want to call God Father. They don't want to refer to the Lord as the Son. The radical feminists would say, that excludes me. I want a mommy, God. I want a mommy. Don't exclude me. Even a revised edition of the international version adds to the word of God. We critique this in affirmation and critique. In John 20, the Lord said to Mary, go to my brothers. But these quasi-evangelicals add, and sisters. Because the feminists would say, don't exclude me. Don't exclude me. We, we got to be there. You got to add ancestors. And if the Bible says you will bring many sons into glory, you have to add daughters. Don't exclude me. 
I need to rule over my spirit. They're just a bunch of dummies. Theological dummies. Don't you know all the believers, male and female, are brothers? Don't you know all the believers, male and female, are the bride and we're virgins? Don't, don't change the Bible, add things to the Bible to fit in with the spirit of the age. Understand the Bible. All the sisters will be sons of God and all the brothers will be part of the bride of Christ. Amen. In relation to the Lord, I'm not a man. He's the man. So it creeps in. So if you came into the meeting under the influence of feminist ideology, we still love you. But the Lord will wash away any kind of ideology. We're not patriarchal, exalting the man. We're not feminist, exalting the women. We present the pure word in its complete truth. And if we see this, all the men and all the women will be very happy. In Christ, there is no male or female. But in the church, there has to be male or female because we're still in the old creation. When we're in resurrection, this distinction will be gone. That's the truth. We just hold to the word. We will not dilute it. We will not peddle it. We are not hawkers. We just present the word. And if we're not pure, may the Lord with the seven eyes burn and judge us until we are pure. And we have only one name. The highest name, the God-exalted name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus, that name we love. Amen. Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Jesus, all names above. Amen. We love to sing regarding his name. Lift that name high, that glorious name. The name of Jesus, we just meet in his name. Actually, in essence, we're very simple. If we're Philadelphia, we keep his word, we do not deny his name, and we love the brothers. So there are hundreds of you out there, most of you I don't know. I just sacrifice myself a little bit. Don't you know in your spirit that I love you? What is my motive other than loving the Lord, loving his church? We just have the word, the name, and the love of the brothers. We have a little power, but the Lord is... Pleased with that. 
But the deviations come from exalting a name. Brother Lee was invited in the early 1960s to speak to a certain place in San Diego. And he went to the place where the meeting was to be held. And on the marquee was the name, Witness Lee. Come here, Witness Lee. And Brother Lee's spirit was provoked. And he went to the leader. <coughs> he said, take that down. If you do not take that down, I will not speak. We do not exalt any name. We honor the ministers of the age, but we do not gather in their name. We do not call on their name. We do not receive life in their name. They are slaves who ministered Christ to us. We exalt only one person. We exalt only one name. And we know that the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we only have the word. Yes, we must interpret the word. But all interpretations are subject to the word itself and are never held as equal to it. Two, the return to the pure word from all heresies and traditions and the exaltation of the Lord's name by abandoning every other name are the most inspiring testimony in the recovered church. Uh, I feel I'll, I'll end the message here in about a minute. I think I have uh, done enough. It's only 9.05 or so. If I finish in a couple minutes, there'll be a good period of time to respond. I hope many of you will respond. This is quite a significant matter we're touching tonight. And it's been a fight, whether you realize it or not. We're fighting for the integrity and the purity of the Lord's recovery. Amen. Against all compromise, all defilement, and all kinds of corruption. I say again in finishing. This word and words like it are not aimed that our fellow believers throughout the earth. We recognize the believers in all the different Christian groups. We will not divide and we are not divided from anyone. But we are separated from the religious system of Christianity. We will explore this Thoroughly tomorrow. The Lord's recovery always requires a kind of separation. With the restoration in Genesis 1, God separated light from darkness. The waters from the waters. The ark separated Noah 
from that perverted generation. The Red Sea separated the children of Israel from Egypt. The returned Israelites were separated from Babylon. And the Lord's recovery is a separation to the Lord and to his word from all the confusion and all the division in religion. In essence, it's simple. We just come back to the Lord himself. To exalt him, to love him, to experience him, to enjoy him, to be one with him, to live him, to magnify him, and to express him. And we call on his name, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we come back to the word of God. And we also come back to the oneness of the body of Christ. The name, the word, and the oneness. This is the way it was in the beginning. Only one name. Only the pure word. Only the one body. But other names came in. Traditions came in. Divisions came in. The result, Christianity. But the Lord has a recovery. His move to bring his people back to the beginning, to the name, to the word, to the oneness. So that through them, the Lord may fulfill his original intention to build up the church, which is the body of Christ, to turn the age and bring in the kingdom. For this we live. For this we breathe. This is the Lord's recovery. So once again, let's take a minute or two to pray with someone nearby. Then we'll have more than 20 minutes for some prophesying and some sharing.